Thank you for listening to the Modesto Foursquare podcast. We hope that this message encourages and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Please know that you can always join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 510 Bernie Street in Modesto. You can also find more information on our website at ModestoFoursquare.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Here we are. We are in the last chapter of the short book of Jonah. So, um, if you grew up in the church, as I did, I know not all of us did, I think sometimes we can become so familiar with stories like this one that um, we become desensitized to them. We kind of lose their meaning. And I don't know about you, but as a child, when I would hear the stories of the flood or Jonah and the great fish or even Jesus walking on water or feeding the 5,000, I was so amazed by the miracles um, that sometimes I lost the... Wow, I'm getting a lot of feedback on this mic. Are you hearing feedback back there? No? Okay. I feel like it's feeding back. Okay. You were wrong. Everybody else said yes to that question. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So I would be so amazed by all of the miracles that sometimes I think I would lose the message because the signs and the wonders and the miracles, they always serve the message, right? They're not in and of themselves um, what God is saying. He wants to do miracles. He wants to do signs and wonders. But all of that is to bring glory to God and who he is. It's not just about the miracle, it's about glorifying God and knowing him better. So for the past three weeks, Tyler has been walking us through the journey of this very reluctant prophet, Jonah, or my study Bible called him the stubbornly defiant prophet. Um, So not just reluctant, stubbornly defiant. Um, And we've been using this story to kind of frame our own stories and ask ourselves, how to walk through hard things. And at times in this story, we've had to ask, how can I not be a Jonah, right? Because he sure has his fair share of shortcomings and failures and outright sin, right? It's not just a mistake. We don't always just make a mistake. Sometimes we are outright in rebellion and it is sin. Call it what it is, not just a mistake, it's sin. And so in this story, we only get to see one brief prophetic mission of Jonah, which is kind of unusual. In many of our other prophets in the Bible, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, we see a lot of their journey. We see several cities, or we hear lots of different messages that those prophets bring to different people. But in Jonah, we only see his interaction with one single place, Nineveh, right? And Jonah's story has so far reminded us of the greatness of God. It's reminded us of his presence, even when we run away from his plans and his call. It's reminded us of God's willingness to, by any means necessary, draw us back, even in the belly of a great fish in the depths of the sea. We've been reminded that God provides a path through and a way out whether the hard times are because of outside circumstances or because we dug that pit for ourselves. And as we move into chapter 4, 
we're going to see that despite Jonah's obedience, right, obedience in chapter 3, he still has the capacity to dig a pit. Don't we all? We can follow the Lord in obedience and make some right calls and do what he asks and then dig ourselves another pit. Yeah. So where we left off in chapter 3, Jonah had been vomited out of a great fish after three days and was called again by God to share this message with the city of Nineveh. This time, instead of running away, he obeyed. And he traveled to Nineveh and shared the message that God gave him. And the Ninevites, upon hearing it, responded with repentance. So we're going to begin by reading Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And then we'll continue reading through the end of this book of the Bible. Don't worry, it's not that many verses. Usually it's a lot of verses when I teach. You're lucky today. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, get ready for it. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord, provided, the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die here than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. This is how I imagine Jonah. <laughs> but the Lord God said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I like that God includes the animals, too. And some Bible scholars believe that this means there were 120,000 people in Nineveh. Others think there could have been close to 600,000 people in Nineveh because maybe the left and right hand wasn't about their morality or their ability to know what was right and wrong. Maybe it was literally children who didn't know their left from their right. So if it was 120,000 children, there could have been up to 600,000 people in Nineveh. 
So either way, that's a lot of people. One, 120, 600, it's a lot. So we finished reading the book of Jonah. If we came into this book of Jonah completely blind, if we had never heard this story before, if we had no knowledge of the ending, we wouldn't have any idea why Jonah ran from God in chapter 1. We only know it because of what we discover here in chapter 4, verse 2. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Here's my paraphrase. I told you, God. I knew you would act this way. I knew that when you, if you sent me there, you would go and do what you do and be compassionate and gracious and loving. Why, God? Why? I knew you would do what you always do and relent. Jonah's response is so extreme that he says he would rather die than live to see God's God relent from this calamity, relent from the judgment coming on the city of Nineveh. And it makes us ask ourselves, why? Why was Jonah so extreme about this? He's exceedingly angry. The word here actually means hot. Have you ever been so angry that you felt overheated? You had a bodily response to your rage? I have many times. The city of Nineveh was wicked and evil, and that's all we read about them here in the book of Jonah, that it's wicked and evil. But in the book of Nahum and in history, we get a little more insight into what kind of wicked Nineveh was. Let me tell you what's said about them. It's said that they impaled live victims on poles and let them roast in the desert heat. It said that they beheaded people by the thousands and stacked their skulls up. It said that they skinned people alive. It said that they killed their own children so they didn't have to care for them. The people of Nineveh and of greater Assyria were the sworn enemies of Israel and Judah, and so they were the sworn enemies of Jonah. God, how could you offer them repentance? When Jonah says that he would rather die than live to see this, what he's really saying is, I would rather die than see my enemies allowed to live. I would rather die than not get my own way. And what my way is would be vengeance. So he's sitting on this hill, and he's overlooking Nineveh, and he's waiting, and he's watching, and he's wondering, will God really relent? Because maybe there's a chance that while I sit there, God will change his mind again, and they'll be destroyed, and I'll get to see it. Will God really show compassion, or will they be destroyed after 40 days? Will the repentance of Nineveh last? Maybe that was a little short-lived. Maybe I can still watch them burn to the ground. Jonah's sure hoping that it's utter destruction that he'll see. And he would prefer 
their deaths over their repentance from evil. He would prefer they die than they repent from evil. And he would prefer his own death than watch Nineveh be reconciled to God. Jonah brings God this outrage. And God responds with a very simple question. Is it right for you to be angry? And is it? Jonah just repented himself not too long ago. He just ran from God. He just took a boat to the place furthest away from where God was asking him to go. Causing a giant storm and having the sailors in it to save their own lives. They didn't even want to throw him overboard. And Jonah is swallowed by a big fish. Jonah was spared, so why not Nineveh? Jonah called on God in his need, and then he's upset when God offers the same kind of mercy when God extends his grace and love to others. Is it right for you to be angry? We read no response from Jonah here. He doesn't say a word. So God decides, I'm going to give you a little object lesson here. If you ever do object lessons where, like, I don't know, you have an object and you show somebody something that helps them visualize. So God's going to help Jonah visualize. And Jonah is so hot with rage, God's going to let him feel some literal heat. So Jonah's built this makeshift shelter to hopefully, please God, watch Nineveh be destroyed and overthrown. And then God provides this large leafy plant to give him some shade. And here is where we see, for the only time in this whole book, Jonah being described as happy. He's happy because he's in the shade. It's the only time he's happy in the whole book. He's happy about the plant. And it's also the third miracle that we've seen in the book of Jonah. First miracle is this great fish that swallows him. That's the only miracle we usually talk about, I I think, when we read the book of Jonah or talk about the book of Jonah. The great fish rescue, right? But the second huge miracle is the repentance of Nineveh. I just described to you how evil they were. That's a miracle, They responded with repentance. And then number three, we've got this miracle of the rapid growth of this plant. I mean, how long would it usually take for a plant to grow up to the height of shade? It would be more than a single day. Jonah is happy. So God does as he does. And after making Jonah happy, he provides a worm and a wind. And just like that, the plant's here today and gone tomorrow, putting Jonah into another fit, into another temper tantrum, and another declaration of his death wish. God asks again, is it right for you to be angry, but this time about the plant? Yes, so angry I could die. 
And if you're counting, that's three times he said that in nine verses. So here's the object lesson. God's saying, Jonah, you are so angry about the destruction of this plant, and you had nothing to do with its creation or its growth. How much more should I be concerned with the people of Nineveh? It reminds me of Jesus' words from Luke chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says to his disciples, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And this is an encouragement for us not to worry about what we eat or drink or what we wear or what will come to us tomorrow. But it shows God's care for his creation and his care for us. Grass is here today and gone tomorrow. And this plant that Jonah is using for shade was here today and gone tomorrow and it was clothed by God. How much more his people. And when I say his people... I don't just mean Israel. God didn't just mean Israel. God also meant Nineveh. Jonah contains multiple miracles, but it's not primarily a book about miracles. One pastor said that it's primarily a book about the will of God and how we respond to it, and primarily a book about the love of God and how we share it. It's a book about the will of God and how we respond to it, and a book about the love of God and how we share it. Honestly, Jonah could have seen himself as the world's greatest prophet. His message to Nineveh in Hebrew is only five words. I don't know if those are the only five words he spoke, but what we have recorded in the Bible is five words. Five words, and he has all of Nineveh convinced of their need to repent of wickedness. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. If I got in front of a crowd of 120,000 people or 600,000 people and I shared five words and all the people came to repentance, that would be a success, right? Wouldn't that be a success? Wouldn't I be the world's greatest prophet? But instead of seeing himself that way, instead of seeing that as a success, Jonah is afraid of success. He was so fearful that he ran from God the first time. And I say ran, but not really, because none of us can run from the call of God. Romans 11.29 says, For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. They are never withdrawn. God's gifts and his call stay. And you know what else is true? God is always just. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. But he is also just. And while Jonah doesn't see the city of Nineveh destroyed here, and their repentance lasts longer than the 40 days, their repentance was short-lived. Because it ended 
within the next 100 to 150 years. Because Jonah is not the only prophet who's sent to Nineveh. We also have the book of Nahum in our Bibles. And Nineveh was destroyed around 612 B.C. Jonah wasn't the only prophet with a message for them. Nahum was directed to Nineveh, and Jonah and Nahum are the only two books in the entire Bible that end with a question. Both of them, both of those questions are from God. In Jonah, we read about God asking, how much more should I care about these people and these animals? And then in Nahum, we read this question, not for the prophet, but for the Ninevites. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Who has not felt your endless cruelty? That's the question God asks in Nahum. Jonah doesn't live to see his enemy destroyed. He lives to see his enemy offered a chance at redemption. Hear me when I remind us of this. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. But even so, sometimes we don't live to see our enemy overcome in this earthly existence. Right? Wickedness, evil, pain, suffering. We don't always get to live to see that overcome right here on earth. But we know that the enemy's been crushed by Jesus' resurrection. And we believe that Jesus will come again and defeat the enemy once and for all. The kingdom is here, but the kingdom is yet to come. And it's kind of a hard thing to wrap our minds around that Jesus said the kingdom is among us, but also he'll return to crush the enemy forever. And until that day, people who are not our enemies are given an opportunity at redemption, just like we were. We are people who were given an opportunity for redemption. And who are the messengers? Who was the messenger that brought you the gospel? So as we move into kind of applying this practically, I want us all to take a moment to stop and think. So if you're open to it, let's take a second here. And let's ask God. Let's pray. I want us to ask God, is there anything you want to say to me? Because I don't always have the, the right answer. Something I say, you could hear something from the Holy Spirit that I didn't even say today. And that would be good. So let's ask God, is there anything you want to say to me? And Lord, is there one big question you have for me? Because maybe like Jonah, God has some confronting to do. Maybe God has the same question or a similar one to ask us. Is it right for you to be angry? Or maybe God's asking you a different question. So I'm going to give us a minute to just stop here. Holy Spirit, speak. 
We've been asking in these four weeks, how do we walk through hard things? And it makes me wonder, what was Jonah's hard thing here in chapter 4? What was his hard thing? It wasn't his rebellion running to Tarshish. It wasn't him falling into the depths of the sea, praying for rescue. His hard thing here, his difficult thing here, is his own pride and vanity. His difficult here was his own reputation. His challenge was his prejudice. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because if he went with a message of destruction and God chose to relent, wouldn't he look foolish? Wouldn't he kind of look like a quack? Wouldn't he look like he didn't know what he was talking about? come in here preaching destruction and then God doesn't destroy them. Maybe he would look like he didn't even know how to hear from God. Lord, if I go in there and I preach their overthrow and instead you give them a chance at life, I will look bad. My reputation as a prophet here and in Israel will just be ruined. But that word overthrow in chapter 3, verse 4, can also mean to be reversed. Is it possible that God fulfilled Jonah's prophecy not by overturning the city, but by reversing the hearts of the people in it? Weren't their hearts overthrown and overturned because they turned to God? So I have questions for us today as we determine what God is saying through his word for us. My first question is this. What's your hard place? If God walks us through hard things, what is our hard place? Is it a mess of our own making? Is it our pride? Is it vanity? Is it stubborn defiance, even more than just reluctance? Do you ever find yourself thinking, I'm better than this? I was made for more than this. But later you realize that it's the exact place God wants you. Is anybody else like me where... You're constantly playing tug-of-war with an inferiority complex and a superiority complex. Like, sometimes I feel superior, and sometimes I'm like, oh, no, I'm inferior. And instead, God probably, not probably, he does just want me to stop comparing and be who he made me to be. Not superior, not inferior, just Cassie. What's your hard place? My next question is, who are your hard people? Who in your life or outside of your life, maybe even somebody you have absolutely zero influence or ability to talk to, who do you feel deserves no second chances? Who's your Nineveh? 
My next question is, do you bring your honest emotions before God? Jonah brought his anger to God. He expressed these feelings of justification. He, he put it all out there. And I think that God's okay with us putting it all out there. But our next question to ask ourselves is, when we put it all out there, do we let God speak back? It's good to put it all out there, to lay ourselves bare before the Lord. But when we do that, do we let God talk back to our emotions and our feelings and our rage? And when God responds by prodding us or tapping us on the back, maybe with a question of self-reflection, is it right for you to be angry? Do we listen? Do we listen to God's questions back to us? Sometimes when I find myself in hard places or in situations with what I would consider difficult people, I become self-justifying. Self-justifying in my rejection of that place or that people. Tyler preached this in week one of Jonah. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not from Jesus. It also doesn't mean that everything hard comes from Jesus. But not everything that's difficult or that stretches us or pushes us, not every little stumble, every little roadblock, every time that we need to ask the Holy Spirit for courage, that doesn't mean that it's not from Jesus. Because he stretches us and calls us. And so sometimes when I am in a hard place or with a hard person or a difficult situation, I can reject that. And in my rejecting of that stuff, that hard stuff in life, I also reject sharing God's message with impossible people. And what that does is it limits God. And it also limits me and what God can do through me. Have you ever done that? Limited God and limited you. I hadn't planned on sharing the story, um, but I was hanging out with a friend yesterday and it popped right back into my head. I am Jonah, okay? Seven years ago, I think, maybe eight, uh, I was dropping a kid off, a college kid from our church, Antica. I was giving her a ride, and it was in a part of Stockton I did not know. And I got lost on the way home. She'd already been dropped off at her house, and I'm trying to come down these country roads in East Stockton, and I am lost. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't have my phone. I don't know why I was so lost. But I remember, at the time, Tyler and I were praying about planting a church. And we were planting, we were praying about different places. Monterey. I still wish God called us to Monterey, you guys. Um, we were praying about Monterey. We were praying about Berkeley, California, too, which would have been a very difficult mission field. Um, and the Lord kept tugging at us about Stockton. 
And I'm driving down the road, and I am lost. And I remember screaming aloud in my car, God, you are not sending me here! As one does. That's how I talk to God sometimes. I brought him my honest rage, okay? And this is how God talks back to me. Kind of the same way God talks back to Jonah. And God just, I could hear it, not audible voice, but just a very deep sense. Because I was already working in Stockton. I lived in Manteca, but I worked at the university in Stockton. So I say in this rage, you are not sending me here. And God, very quietly to my spirit, whether I send you here to plant a church, whether I send you here for good or not, you're already here. What are you doing with my message right now? And it hit me. Oh, you're right. I'm here 40 hours a week already. And what am I doing? I'm already here 40 hours a week. Whether I move here and live here or not, I'm sent. A few mornings ago, I sensed God asking me kind of these questions. What are the things that you have disallowed, that you've rejected? What are the boundaries that you've placed, Cassie? What are the restrictions that you have made? And what are the limits that you have believed? I, I sense God asking that about me, but even more about him. When I reject places and people, when I make the judgment call the way Jonah did on whether or not others deserve God's mercy, I put limits on God. I put boundaries and restrictions on God. And in doing so, I become limited in what God can do through me. And I felt God ask me, why? Why did you, do you put up these boundaries? Is it because I'm afraid of looking foolish? Is it because I'm afraid of being wrong? Am I afraid that God won't come through? If I pray for healing and God doesn't heal, is that on me? It makes me look bad. But that's not what God asks us to do. He asks us to walk in obedience and to do what he says. And it's on him. God's not worried about his own reputation. I'm worried about mine. But I limit him. Because I won't even step out with any faith because I'm afraid about me. What if instead we all said yes to God's call? What if we all said yes to sharing his mercy and his love with everyone around us, even our worst enemies, even our Ninevehs? What if we said yes not only to the miracles, but also to the gospel, the message? Because God cares. He cared about you. He cared about me. He still does. And he cares about every single person still on the planet. 
He cared about Nineveh even more than that leafy plant that got eaten by the worm. We don't get to read Jonah's response to all of this. Jewish tradition says that he bowed down and had a true repentance before the Lord. We don't get to see that. It's not here. We don't really know that Jonah did that. We're just left with this question about God caring for his creation. So how do we walk through hard things? Especially when our hard thing is our own hang-ups. How do we walk through a difficult call from God? Maybe we don't feel confident. Maybe we feel self-righteous, like Jonah. I think it can be both. What do we do with a complicated mission? What do we do when there's a path we don't want to take, but we sense God calling us to be obedient and to go? Even if that going is just smiling at the person on your walk or saying God bless you to the person who checked out your groceries. Sometimes even that feels like a difficult mission. What do we do with the moments when we wish we could be anywhere but here? Anywhere but then with these people. Jonah, I would rather be with those sailors on the way to Tarshish than I would be here with Nineveh. And how dare they choose to repent? I wanted them destroyed. What do we do with those moments? I have four things. Very simple. They seem obvious, but they're hard to implement sometimes. Number one. This one's really hard, I think. It sounds, sounds simple. Stop thinking we know better than God. I think we give a lot of, like, lip service. We say we don't know anything. And then still, sometimes in these moments, we still think we know better than God. Jonah thought he knew better than God. I know what the Ninevites deserve. Number two, bring God our honest cries for mercy and justice. It can be both. We can ask for God's mercy and we can also ask for his kingdom come and for his justice. Number three, we need to listen for God's correction and his questions back to us. When we bring him our honest cries, We need to wait and hear him if he says, is it right for you to be angry? Because we can be angry and not sin. The Bible does say that. Jesus was angry at times, but he didn't direct his anger at God. And I think that we can direct that. We can tell God how angry we are, and then he can still come back at us and ask, But am I not just? Am I not compassionate? Am I not loving? Have I not redeemed you? Were you not offered repentance two chapters ago in this book of the Bible? 
We have to listen for God's correction and his questions for us. And then number four, stop limiting God and stop limiting yourself. If we could do all of this, if I could do all of this, I think that God would make me less of a reluctant carrier of his message. I, I admit I am reluctant sometimes. It's, it's easier for me to stand here and talk to all of you, most of which know Jesus already, than for me to carry his message of hope out there to people who don't know him. Because I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of God not coming through. I'm afraid of it feeling like it's on me when it's not ever on me. It's on Jesus. And there are times when I am not just reluctant, but I am stubbornly defiant. But if we could do all of this, if we could stop limiting God and stop limiting ourselves, if we could stop thinking we know better than him, if we could give him our cries of anguish, if we could ask him for mercy and justice, and if we could listen to God correcting us and redirecting us, I think that we would come to a place where we recognize our need for Jesus in every single moment of every single day. And because of that, we would remember his love for all the world. And if we did all of this in our difficulties and our sin, I think that we would get a clearer vision of God's will and what our proper response is. Again, Jonah is a book about the will of God and how we respond to it. I think that if we did all of this, we would get a clearer understanding of God's love and our call to share it. Jonah is a book about God's love and our call to share it. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us today that we could do this. Um, this This is one of the chapters of what not to do, how not to be Jonah, So I'm going to pray for me, and I'm going to pray for all of you. And if there was a question that the Lord responded back to you in that time of silence, just see if God has anything more to say to you about that as I pray. And this will be our response this morning, and then we will be released out into the world to share the message of God's love. Let's pray. Jesus, I admit that sometimes, as Romans says, that your, your call is never withdrawn. Sometimes I wish your call could be re- withdrawn because it feels hard. It feels scary. It feels like all eyes are on me and that I might mess it up, say the wrong words, choose the wrong timing. Or sometimes I feel like I was made for bigger things. 
Lord, strip away self-righteousness and lack of confidence. Strip away feeling inferior and feeling superior. Do that for each one of us and remind us of the identity and call you have for us. How to be ourselves in Christ. Not ourselves in our sin, but ourselves renewed by you and your spirit. Lord, we surrender our need to be right. We surrender our thoughts of knowing better than you do. Lord, we surrender our outrage, our questions, our fears. And Lord, we listen to your response. We listen to your prodding. We listen to your redirection. By your spirit, may we become more obedient. May we have more follow through with the things you are tugging us to do. And Lord, as you strip away that fear of rejection, of reputations being ruined, of whatever it is that we hold on to and that holds us back, Lord, would you be your unlimited self? We know you will. You are not limited. You are all-powerful, almighty, all-loving and compassionate. You empower us by your Holy Spirit, but you're the one who gets all the credit. And you come through. Lord, may we learn to be less like Jonah in these moments where we think that we are right and where we limit you. Show us what your will is and may we respond with openness. And God, remind us of your love for each one of us and make us carriers of that love and your gospel truth that Jesus came to save, to redeem, to restore, to give every person a chance at being united with you, Lord. Where relationship was broken, you restore. Make us carriers of that love in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a good one, everybody. Go be a carrier of God's love and obedient to his will.